It's a question we have all asked ourselves at one time or another. What is my purpose in life? And while we all have many gifts and desires that are unique to us as individuals, we were all created for this one purpose, to glorify God our Father. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So in a world focused only on self, we want to shift the paradigm to be purposeful women of God. So join us as we change our focus from me to thee. Hello and welcome to the Purposeful Women of God podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Tabitha. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are back in the studio for the first time in probably three weeks. Yes. At least two weeks. Mm-hmm. So between our live event and going on vacation for fall break, we are back and we're yes. ready to get back into the swing of things. And as most of you can probably tell, October is a little bit different from our normal routine. We're not doing just a regular Bible study or series like we normally do, but God has brought into our path several amazing people who have some awesome testimonies that we want to be able to share with all of you. And last week we talked with Pastor John and Miss Debbie, and we have gotten such great feedback from that. The week before that, we shared our live event with all of you. And so today we also have a very special interview. So Ashley, will you just introduce who we're speaking with today? We are so excited to have with us today a four-time Emmy-winning journalist and broadcast news anchor for the NBC affiliate WCNC Charlotte, Sarah French. So let's just go ahead and get into the interview. We hope you guys enjoy it. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on with you guys. I've been listening to your podcast. I love it. I love everything that you're doing. Well, thank you so much. So as we have began doing research for this interview with you, we were so amazed at all the incredible work that you have done. And I think just a little bit that we've already talked, we could talk hours with you because we love your story and just the message of positive and just encouragement that you send to so many people. But we want to highlight some of those things today because we believe they fit right into our podcast and the series that we're doing this month, which is all about living a life full of purpose. But before we get Mm -hmm. into that, we would love to know a little bit more about you. So will you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Sarah French. Um, I'm a morning anchor for the local NBC affiliate in Charlotte, North Carolina. So my alarm goes off at 2 a.m. every oh my morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go to work, but I, I love the morning shift because I'm done around 12.30 and I can go pick the kids up from school. And um, I always joke my second job is a chauffeur to my kids, running running them around. But, we completely um, understand that for sure. Yeah, my kids are seven, almost eight, and a five-year-old. So uh, we're in the middle of it now. It's a super fun busy but fun season of life. That's awesome. So we wanted to do a little rapid fire question and answer with you if you're up for it. We always like to have a little bit of fun on the show. Okay. Yeah. All right. So first question, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, (laughs) My brother lived there for a little while in Texarkana and he got to visit the springs and stuff and was telling us about how cool it was. He really enjoyed that. Um, Yes, I I kind of moved around with Missouri for school and then Connecticut and then I was in China for the 2008 Olympics and then to Boston and I 
worked in LA for a little bit and then um, now we're in Charlotte. So I feel like it's been a long time since I've lived in Arkansas, but I, my family's still there. And so we always love going back to visit. You've been everywhere, and I've never left the South. I don't think <laughs> that sounds so bad, but I don't think I have. Well, it's funny because after Boston, I told my agent when that contract was up, I said, take me South. I'm ready to be closer oh, to yeah. family. I'm ready to be back in the South, yes. anywhere in the South. <laughs> yes, for sure. I'd be saying the same thing. So how many siblings do you have? So I just have a younger brother. He's about seven years younger than me. Oh, wow. Okay. And he's in... Chapel Hill now. Um, he's a urologist, and but he's about to move to Nashville. So I'm oh, kind of cool. sad about that because well, I was, I was really hoping everyone would move to the Carolinas, but together to be now together, he's moving yeah. to, to Nashville. But that's not too far. We have family in Nashville too. So, <laughs> so what was your first job? So technically, my first job was when I was in high school and working in Arkansas on the lake, I would fill up uh, gas for the boat. Oh, that's but awesome. <laughs> when people, I would always mess up the credit card machine, so I was not very good at it. That is so and funny. then they were like, do you, your personality, do you want to be the uh, the hostess at the restaurant instead? <laughs> but that was great. like my, my high school gig that I had. But um, That's fun. It's always good to hear where people of, started. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. My husband's was yeah, out was at a not... marina as well, so they have similar. His was, <laughs> his first job was at a marina, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, was not good with the credit card machine <laughs> at all. But my first job out of school, um, I went to the 2008 Olympic Games and worked for the Olympic News Service covering gymnastics. And then I was there for the summer, and then I came, and then I uh, went to Hartford, Connecticut. That's a pretty big first for, job. For yeah. Three, it was it was um, kind of culture shock, you know. It was totally different, and I remember um, after we would eat lunch, we were ready to get back working, and they would take this uh, about like an hour break after lunch, and people would nap. And a lot of people that I was with, like the Americans, were like, "What are we doing? We need we got to keep working." and by the end of it, we were all like reading a book or taking a nap after that break. And it was kind of like, okay, it's kind of nice to slow down a little bit. And not I would love to implement so that here. Rush, rush, rush. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, we're so fast paced. I couldn't even imagine that. Even in the South, we're fast paced now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know. When, I want everything to slow down. <laughs> oh, me too. Time, everything, right? Just, just slow down. <laughs> so when did you know you wanted to pursue a career in journalism? So... I pretty much knew in high school, I loved telling people stories. I love talking to people and I love turning that conversation into a story because it sounds cheesy, but no matter who you are, everyone has a story to tell. And I believe that story can help other people watching. And so I said, I wanted to go into journalism and I met an anchor who was in an anchor in Little Rock who had gone to Mizzou and she told me about Mizzou. And then like a month later I was reading in some magazine. It was talking about the top journalism schools. And I saved that magazine article and it had Mizzou in there because the university owns the NBC affiliate in Columbia, Missouri, which makes the experience that you get before graduating. So great for so many of those 
a broadcasting student. And so that was the only school I applied to. I knew I wanted to go there and people kept saying, you'll probably change your major and that's okay. Everybody does. Yeah. And surprisingly, I, I didn't change it, even though there definitely was frustrations and ups and downs going through journalism school, but I stuck with it and here I am. I'm still that's doing it. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I, I was telling Tabitha, I was, in high school, I was always, oh, I want to be a news anchor. I just kind of thought that I've always brought things back to reality for myself. And I'm like, what's the chances that I would actually end up on the news? Like these news anchors are there for years and years and years that do yeah. these shows. I'm like, oh, there's no chance. Well, I took it back to accounting. You know, I don't know, something that you can find a job in. Well, so, I would be terrible at accounting. So. <laughs> that is so funny. I have to tell you, though. So I went back um, and I was looking at your website and I stumbled across the video that you put together of your grandparents. And when you interviewed your oh. grandfather, when you were what, ninth grade? Yes. That yes, was the coolest the really, thing. really, really thick accent. Oh, it was <laughs> so sweet though. I'm like, even then, like you were, you, you probably didn't even know where you would be now, but what you were doing then was, it was so awesome to just see that. Totally. I've always um, sat down with my grandparents. That was actually for a school project that I did that, but I've always sat down, um, with my grandparents and interviewed them. They're all gone now, but uh, one year for Christmas, I took all those interviews and, and put that video together and gave it to uh, my family for Christmas one year, which was which was really special. So I always encourage people, whether it's your parents or grandparents, like sit down with them, have a conversation and record it. I mean, yeah. they can go back and listen to it and they, they have such wisdom too. Because, I mean, they only... I mean, sometimes like my grandfather has dementia. It's funny you said that because my aunt just recently did that with my grandfather. And a couple months ago, mm -hmm. she sent it to out to all of us where she sat down with him and just asked him just a that list of questions and had him oh, answering them, yeah. you know. But I also saw your grandmother. And man, I wish I had known her because she she was hilarious. She made me laugh. I was laughing in bed last night because I'm like, she is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a southern accent. Too. <laughs> yes, she, she oh, has yes. a southern draw for for sure. She was true, like southern bell accent. Mm -hmm. And she was a hundred and two, right? when she passed away, she was a she was a hundred and two. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. And so we miss her. Yeah. She's just so so special to have her for that long here with us. For sure, and it seemed like she was in. I mean, pretty good shape too. You know, maybe up until some of the later she time was, but... she she was she fell and hit her head and that was it but um oh, wow. she was like doing so well and so but i mean what a long life yes and an amazing life. have so many uh memories and videos like that that we can go back and and listen i feel like i always go back in different phases of life yeah it speaks to you differently you it know? does and it's so amazing that you have that so how did you meet your spouse so my husband used to play professional baseball. So he was traded from the Cubs to the Red Sox when I was in Boston. And they had me covering the Red Sox Centennial, which if you're a reporter in Boston, I basically could have made a sports reel and gotten a sports job with all the sports stories that they had to cover there. But I was not like your sports guru. So I was like, Oh my goodness. That was kind of when I first got there too. I was like, I need to research the players and what are they doing? And when they send you out to do 
field anchoring, as they call it, from the um, stadium, you ad-lib a lot. So I knew that leading up to this, I needed to have some fun facts and things to talk about. So I went on Twitter, and I just followed the coaches, the mascot, the team, the players, and I thought, I can see what they're all doing leading up to the big centennial. And I'll be able to, like, have some fun facts and say so-and-so tweeted this and blah, blah, blah. Well, I guess my husband, he thought he was special. And so he messaged me on Twitter because he thought I had just followed him. I guess this was like those dating apps before you had dating yeah. apps. I guess we had match.com <laughs> so then. But nobody was like on any dating apps. And so he messaged me and um, I was with a friend who worked for ESPN at the time. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, do I say anything back? Like, what do I say? And she was like, oh, yeah, message him back. So we just started small talk and talking. And then actually he had to go to Florida for uh, Tommy John surgery. He was a pitcher. And so we didn't even meet. Like, we were just talking online. And then I think we Skyped or something to say hi. And it was very, like, it was like months. And then we finally met and went on a date, but we felt like we knew each other so well. And, you know, I hadn't talked with anyone like that before where you're actually, you know, having these long conversations on the phone with someone and really getting to know them. And so anyway, the rest is, the rest, the rest is history. Or as my grandmother would say, <laughs> they met on Twitter. They, they met, met on Twitter. Twitter. That is awesome. <laughs> I, love that. I love that story. That is so neat. So you already <laughs> said that y'all have two kids together. Yes. A boy and a girl, Blair and right? CJ. Yep. Yep. I, my daughter's seven going on 17. <laughs> and then <laughs> I have a, a five-year-old little boy who is just full of energy. Are the so second ones are different, aren't they? I have a nine-year-old boy and now a three-year-old boy. And that second one, we always say if we had had him first, that probably would be it. <laughs> oh, we say the same thing all the time. And it's so funny because when I was pregnant, we had multiple couples come up to us that had like five kids. And they were like, don't worry. Going from one to two is actually the hardest. And I was like, I don't know if that makes me feel better. Like, yeah, I can attest but, to that. Um, I have four and going from one oh to two goodness. is the hardest. <laughs> Yes, yes. Well, he, he is a bundle of energy, that's for sure. Yeah. But we love him. They're, it's, it's such a blessing. <laughs> I understand that. I can uh, definitely have sympathy <laughs> with you there on that one. Mine's a wild child, too. But um, what is the best part about the job that you have now? The best part of my job is probably being able to tell people's stories and being able to make a difference and raise awareness with those stories um now I really feel like there's no other profession like like that in journalism especially in local news where you can make a a big difference in your community where your family and friends are living that's what I was going to say I think there's a difference in local news versus some sort of national news that you could be on I would imagine there is a more sense of you know like you said community there than totally and I realized that when I covered the Boston Marathon bombing and when that happened, it was like everyone was texting us. They were turning on the local news because those are people who live in your neighborhood. Like our meteorologists, where this shootout took place, you know, a few days after the bombing was his house was there. And so we are 
in your community. We know the streets. We know the areas. There's a school shooting. Our kids are in those schools. And a lot of times with um, network, and I have plenty of friends that have gone on to work in the network, but they're flying in, they're covering it, and they're leaving, and they're going to the next spot. And so that's why I feel um, local news is just so different uh, than network news because we are we are there with you in your community. I agree. So what would you say is your greatest career accomplishment so far? So <laughs> <laughs> um, probably when I was in Hartford, um, there was a girl that I knew. She was a reporter, and she was down in Haiti uh, during the earthquake, and she ended up changing careers. That's another thing I love about my job. I get to meet all these people that just inspire me. But she changed careers and became a nurse and then started taking these groups of nurses down to Haiti. Wow. And I was so inspired. And I was like, we need to go and do a story on what they're doing. And this is about a year after the earthquake in 2010. Um, but I went to my boss and um, they were like, no, you're, you're not going to go do that. And I'm, my mom always said I was stubborn, which my kids can be like that too. So maybe it will pay off later on down the line. Yes, I'm sure but it I will. Thought, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I thought about it and I prayed about it. And then I went back and I was like, okay, what if I pay for the flight and shot the stories myself? Then would you let me go? And they were like, sure. Um, wow, so that's, that's what crazy. I did. I went, ended up one of our, um, photographers went to the church that was going and he was down there shooting uh, stuff for the church. And so he actually got to shoot stuff with me. So that worked out where I didn't have to shoot everything, but it was the most life changing experience. Um, we stayed at an orphanage. We slept in a hammock and we told these stories in this series called hope for Haiti and won my first Emmy through those, through that series. And so for me personally, that was just, a life-changing experience and one that I'll, I'll just never forget. Is there a way we can go back and watch that series that you did? Is it, are they posted anywhere? Yeah, I can send them to you. So you can post the link as well. So there are three stories and yeah, it was, um, it was an incredible experience. It was a group of nurses and then a church group that we went down with and what they're, they're doing there was just amazing. That's awesome. I know I've never gone on a mission trip, and I would love to, but I know Tabitha has been to Africa, mm-hmm. so I'm sure a similar... Oh, I'd love to do that, too. I'd, I'd love to do that. I will say it's, just like you said, it's life-changing, life-changing, but I know mm-hmm. I loved hearing you say that you advocated for yourself to go, and that just not only the payoff for those that were there and being able to share this story, but it's... I, just hearing you share that story, God honored that too. Yeah. I, I always tell people sometimes if some, if God has placed something on your heart, no, doesn't always mean no. Now sometimes it does, but sometimes you just have to think of it a different way to approach it. And, you know, if he calls you, he equips you. And that's exactly right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. That's what we say about this podcast because we don't feel equipped. We're like, you know, he equips the call. He doesn't call the equipped. So here we are. (laughs) Oh, and I'm the same way. I'm on TV every day. And sometimes I think, you know, having posture syndrome about, (laughs) 
you know, um, especially in news, like it's like we you're expected to know a lot about everything. And mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like I know a little bit about a lot of things, <laughs> but not a lot about one thing. That's and, right. um, so I think it's easy, but you have to remember it. Like we said, if God calls you, he equips you. And, and sure that's does. not him telling you, you can't do it or you're not qualified. That's right. So one of the biggest questions that we always like to ask is, of course, if you would share your testimony with us, how you came to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, My parents were always sending me to Christian summer camps, and I grew up in an amazing uh, Christian household. What I always tell young people is when you leave home, when you're going to college, get involved with the church, get connected with the church community. I moved around a lot in my career. I moved to Missouri for college. I didn't know a single person. And my first few markets, I moved there not knowing a single person. And I was so focused on my career. I was eat, sleep, (laughs) breathing, work all the time. And I was not connected uh, with a local church. I wasn't in the word daily. And when you start to do that, um, it's not a light switch moment, but we slowly drift away from the Lord Mm -hmm. and the world and culture has, can have such a strong influence on us. And a few years ago, we had a guest speaker at our church that we were attending and we're all sitting there and he turned out the lights. And it was pitch black, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is scary. Like, I can't see anything. And then your eyes start to adjust to the darkness. And you think, oh, I can see. This isn't so bad. Oh, I'm fine. This is good. And then when the lights come back on, it's like, whoa, this is, this is harsh. This is too bright. This is intense. But then the longer you're in the light, you realize, like, this is good, and this is where I'm supposed to be. And I just think that is how I was living. Um, when you are in the darkness and you're not in the word daily and you're not connected with the church and you don't have people who are holding you accountable, you start to think, Oh, well, this is okay. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. It's, you know, it's like in Isaiah when it says what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that Mm -hmm. dark is light and light is dark. And so anyway, my mom, um, took me to an extraordinary women's conference in Oklahoma. I went with my grandma to Tim Tebow's mom spoke, Natalie Grant sang, and it was just, it was life changing. You know, God never stopped pursuing us. Um, And it was at that time that I recommitted my life to Christ and my life changed. And I got connected with a church, which was really hard to do. I was in Boston at the time. Um, I started going to churches and I really wanted to go to one that I could walk to. Um, I didn't even have a car when I lived in Boston and I would go to these beautiful churches and there would be like five people there and we would stand up and say our names. And it was just so sad to me that, that these churches were completely empty. And so I ended up, um, joining like a church plant that I had to, you know, you took public transportation there, Uber, whatever, on Sunday morning, and they met in a little middle school gym, and I just remember bringing my mom there, and my mom meeting the pastor, and her being like, we have prayed for this day, and I was just like, really? And 
it's just now that I'm a mom and a parent, it's just yeah. a testament to a praying mama where we want things in control and our kids are going to make decisions that maybe we don't agree with. And um, the biggest thing that we can do is just never stop praying for our family and our kids. I love that. And my mom is a praying mama. And so anyway, um, my husband and I, we were dating at the time and um, we ended up joining this church and um, we got baptized together, which was so oh, special. That's so great. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey ever since. And looking back at uh, what God has done in my life and how he has used me and placed me in certain situations and places, you know, for a reason. And, and so I just, you know, it's, just amazing when you look back on on everything I love that story that is really beautiful that you shared that and I know that it will touch so many people's hearts just you talking about how hard it was to find a church and how you know not many people were coming we have actually partnered with churches in Boston um, over the last couple of years and just really seeing that it's hard to find a true Bible believing church in the um Northeast, you know, that that is one of the most unreached areas for the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we're also working to partner with a church, a church plant in Vermont very soon, just for that reason. And that in the whole town, they do not have a church. And so Uh, it's just crazy. You know, we're from the South and so there's a church on every corner, you know? So yeah, that's the thing. When we moved here to Charlotte, it took us forever to like fully commit and join a church because there yeah. are so many great churches here in so this many area. Options, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. And the pastors that we talked to, you know, felt called to that area because it's just, and, and, and what are people going to do if it's that hard to find a church? They're just, they're, they're gonna not going to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, that so is that's great. awesome what you guys are doing. I really appreciate us. I wanted our listeners and Ashley and I wanted our listeners to really get to know who you are as we really dove into some other stories that you have shared. But one thing in particular, and I know that you said that one of the greatest things about what you do is telling other people's stories and that you have covered many stories, both good and bad in your career. And you are part of so many wonderful foundations, but this episode is releasing in October and with it being domestic violence awareness month, we wanted to be able to talk with you about a specific story that you covered that involved your friend Alice, who was a victim of domestic violence. Would you mind sharing a little bit of that story and just your work through that? Um, because I know, yeah. I know, I'm sure it's hard for you to, to share, but we would love for you to share that with our, our listeners. Yeah, so um, when I moved to Hartford, Connecticut, I didn't know anyone. And Alice was just that person that her whole family was there. So she took me under her wing um, I spent Thanksgiving with her family. I would go with her and her girls to the movies. I mean, we, that was the person I hung out with. And that was my person there that made me feel welcome in a place where I moved away from my family and didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, um, she was going through a divorce and, um, uh, I think I had an image in my mind of what domestic violence was. I thought Mm -hmm. it was someone showing up to work with bruises or they would tell you, you know, and, and that wasn't Alice at all. She never showed up with bruises. She was, um, 
happy and outgoing and positive. And um, so the, the night before her divorce was finalized, um, she was shot and killed by her husband. Oh, my goodness. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And everyone that I worked with, it was so hard. We had to put on a broadcast and talk about our colleague, our mm-hmm. friend that was murdered. Mm-hmm. And um, I cried on air for the first time. And it completely changed the way I interview people. I interview victims. I approach people for interviews. Um, and while I did get involved with domestic violence shelters there, um, our station did a whole series on raising awareness on what are those red flags like uh, it can be controlling it can be mm-hmm. possessive like it doesn't have to be physical abuse and um, but the thing that just bothered me was while she was hiding from her husband she was texting a friend at the TV station to call 911 for her mm-hmm. because she did not want her husband to hear her and I kept asking why why could she not text 911 now this was in 2009 Mm -hmm. Um, but texting was available people text Um, so I started doing research and there was only one county in Waterloo Iowa that had just passed 911 texting Nowhere else in the U.S. could And it was Iowa, out of all places. Yeah. <laughs> Iowa. Wow. Yeah, and so I did a story. I did Alice's story, and I brought up the question, why could she not text 911? I met with Connecticut le- legislators, and from that story, they started having meetings with cell phone companies and dispatch centers, and so I really felt like it got the ball rolling. The mm-hmm. thing is, it is... Um, it is. It costs money, and it is done dispatch center by dispatch center. Right. Because uh, oh, wow. they have to completely overhaul. So while it started being uh, changed in Connecticut county by county, um, it wasn't until 2018 that the whole state of Connecticut had 911 texting, where you wow. could text 911. And this isn't just for someone like Alice who was hiding and mm-hmm. couldn't afford for someone to hear her. It it's for the younger generation. It's for the hearing impaired. Nice. Um, and, of course, they always say it's better to call. Um, right. But in an emergency situation, you should be able to text. And, and really, when I came to Charlotte, it wasn't available here either, which surprised me. And so I did a story on it. And in 2020, um, it became avail- available in Charlotte-Mecklenburg County. That's wonderful. So, um, you have to look online, uh, call your dispatch center. Right. Um, there's a web, there's websites you can go and search and see if it's available where you live. But if it's not, I encourage you to, um, to push for that in your area as well. That's just something I've never thought about right. until I read your story and everything. I, and Alice's story, I never even thought about having to text 911. Mm-hmm. It's just never something that's crossed my mind. Right. But right. I guess until you're right. in that situation, you don't. And so having something in place like that. So that's amazing that you've been able to share that and to report on that. And we can see that when we see something that needs to be changed, when we speak out about it, that change begins to happen. It just takes a while sometimes. Yeah. And, and you know, 
people in news, we're not the only ones, but you at home, if there is something that you think needs to be changed, like you can make a difference too. Um, I think a lot of times, sometimes we sit back and we go, well, someone else will do it or who am I? Now, I'm only one person because I catch myself. Yeah. What, what am I going to make? How am I going to make a difference? I'm right. only one person, you know. But, but you can. You, you can make all the difference. I like that. I'm, thank you so much for taking the time to share that story with us. We knew, you know, with it being Domestic Violence Month, it's not something that we had planned, you know, on that working out. But we really appreciate you taking the time to tell that story. Yeah. So um, along with your incredible resume in journalism, you are now the author of what I know is going to be one of the greatest selling children's books, <laughs> A Beautiful Story, Jesus in St. Nick. And today is a very special day because even though this episode is going to air in October, we are actually talking to you on release day. So how are you feeling today with today being release day? I'm feeling really good. Some of the reviews are coming in and people are posting, tagging on Instagram. And so that's really exciting because I think going back to imposter syndrome, I think everyone, it's like right before you release something to the world, like your book, a podcast or whatever it may be, you're like, Oh, is this okay? Are they going to like it? Oh, you most know? definitely. Um, yes. <laughs> and so, so it, it, um, it feels really good that uh, so many people are taking to it. And I, I just wanted all the points back to Jesus, but really, it was filling a void that I couldn't find as a, as a mom. I, um, you know, we celebrate Santa, but my kids, obviously I point to the true meaning of Christmas and the reason for the season is Jesus. And I wanted a book that told the story of Jesus's birth. And then I wanted to weave in 300 years later a boy named Nicholas was born. He became a bishop. He became a saint. And uh, he had all this money and ended up using it to help other people, especially children. He was known for you know, tossing coins through the window. They would land in the stockings. Some people say he filled up shoes. And um, I, I wanted my kids to know. I wanted that to be one beautiful story. I wanted them to understand. And, um, and so I just wrote the book for my kids and ended it with like how can we be like a santa too and it doesn't give away any secrets but it is meant to be educational so they understand the story of christmas and then also why we have certain traditions that we do today and a mom had asked me on social media how do you do santa as a christian i'm like oh well, i wrote this book and explained this to my kids and then i started getting messages from some other moms saying oh can i get a copy of that or where do I get the text? And so that kind of sparked the idea of maybe I will turn this into a children's book. And the children's book, I, I added in my kids' characters, and they learn a lesson, too, about giving, and it's better to give than to receive. And um, and so they think it's neat that they're, that they're in the book, too. Well, we have read the book, and we, Ashley and I love both it. love it, and we cannot wait to share it with our kids um, this holiday season, because I feel like it's just as you said, a lot of times, especially as a Christian, it's either one or the other, either you celebrate mm -hmm. Santa or you celebrate Jesus and there's not an in between sometimes. And so I feel like 
this book, as beautifully written as it is, gives us that great balance of both. And Sarah, well, if you're you. if you can hear the rain now, yeah, it's storming on all us. of a sudden. We just well, you know, a storm started. <laughs> I looked out my window and I was like, "Is it rain? Oh, it's raining here too! Oh, that's so funny! It's raining." It was for both so of us. sunny earlier, yeah. and now all of a sudden, we had no idea it was even going to rain, and we record in a metal cube basically so it's even louder than what it would be inside of you know drywall house but so hopefully that's not distracting but well Sarah no no (laughs) in all of our episodes we bring it back to and if you've listened you know that we always ask what's the purpose so can you tell us what your inspiration and I know you've shared some of that but just go ahead and share with our listeners one more time what was the purpose or the inspiration to write this particular children's book Well, the purpose in everything is to glorify him and point it back to Jesus. But I wanted a book that tied in uh, the birth of Jesus and the history of St. Nicholas into one beautiful story. So I saw a need and I wrote the book and I'm so happy that, um, you know, it's finally here. And I hope it can be a blessing for uh so many families out there mm-hmm. and kind of solve that problem of trying to explain who St. Nicholas was. Cause I think with all the commercialized things that go on, um, we forget that he was a real person right. that was a follower of Jesus and everything he did was to glorify God. And he wanted to be an example of Christ's love. I love and that. I tell my kids, you know, uh, Jesus was the greatest gift of all. Absolutely. And I just wanted all of that explained so that as my kids get older, they're like, oh, I get it. I understand. Right. Um, I understand. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for writing this book. And we love it. But can we expect more books from Sarah French in the future? <laughs> um, while this took, uh, it took longer than I expected, uh, a, a children's book, would you pursue that journey? course it was a lot of fun and lord willing I'd, I'd love to write more books it was a it was a great process that would be awesome we'd love to start a, a sarah's uh, kids book collection <laughs> at her house that would be yeah. awesome so we also end every one of our episodes with a challenge to our listeners and as we were thinking about this today you know as we enter the holiday season it's one of my favorite times of the year But I know a lot of times we can get caught up in the commercialization of Christmas, finding that perfect gift for our friends and family or hosting the perfect Christmas gathering. So what is a challenge you could offer our listeners to help them balance the true meaning of Christmas with the commercialized side of Christmas? So my challenge would be probably make Jesus the center of it all. So we can do these fun things. We can have... um, Christmas parties and, you know, sometimes the elves come to visit us, but everything we do points back to Jesus. You know, the, their, the, our elves are at the nativity or they're bringing uh, a Jesus um, coloring book about the birth of Christ. We always go to the candlelight Christmas Eve service, which I know as parents sometimes with little kids, uh, <laughs> You're trying to do a bunch of stuff on Christmas Eve, but it's just so important for my kids that I know over everything else, even though we can have fun, and they're still so little right now, but uh, I want them 
to know the true meaning of Christmas. And so we always just try to keep our focus on him. My kids love Superbook. So, um, you know, we watch the story of Jesus's birth on Superbook on Christmas Eve, too, as well. We do that, the Superbook for Easter. Um, that's a great, you know, you can get those videos free on YouTube. Um, I've never watched that. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard of those. Oh. Hey, well, your kids will love it. How old are your kids again? Mine, our uh, nine and five. No, nine and three. My kids are not nine and five. Nine yeah. and three is how old my kids are. I have some older ones, 13, 11, but then my youngest two are seven. So, Yes, they'll, they'll love it. My seven and five-year-old love it. And it goes through all the stories of the Bible, and it's great. Um, so, I'll yeah, have to the, check and, that out. We also, here in North Carolina, have Samaritan's Purse, so you can fill up shoe boxes and... Yes. Um, you can, I take the kids to the store, we find a child, you know, their age, and they pick out something that they think that they would like, and we fill up the shoebox, we send it off, you can track it to see where it goes, and I always tell them, like, you're being like a Santa to these kids, and so, again, I, I just think, trying to think of activities or traditions that point back to Jesus. St. Nicholas points back to Jesus, too, so right. um, just make that he's the focus and that's one of our favorite traditions too is samaritan's purse being able to donate the shoe boxes so definitely would encourage any of our any of our listeners that if you are not currently doing that to find a church or an organization that does that or you can do it on your own um to be able to give back that's one of my kids favorite things to do is to go shop and fill the boxes and then we send it off so i'm glad you mentioned I that love it. yeah well, Sarah, it has been such an honor to speak with you today and to get to know you more. We are excited to follow along with your career and your book journey. So we wish you nothing oh. but success and pray that the Lord continues to bless you and your family. Thank you so much. And I love your podcast. I love everything that you're doing. So I know that you both are inspiring so many women out there as well. Thanks to each of you for tuning in today. We really enjoyed getting to speak with Sarah and getting to hear her story. Make sure you order your copy of Sarah's book, A Beautiful Story, Jesus and St. Nick on Amazon and follow along with her on social media at Sarah French. Also check out her website, sarahfrench.com for a more in-depth look at the story she's covered. We will have the book and all of her social media information listed in the description box below, as well as on our social media pages. Remember, a sincere desire to become purposeful women of God starts with changing focus from me to thee. God bless from our hearts to yours. See ya. Bye.